This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul. Some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms, but do subscribe to the Mark Dolan YouTube channel where you can see the show every week. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. Lots to get through today. One of the big themes of the program is be prepared. And this is very good for your life because you essentially have a psychology, a frame of mind in which you anticipate potential outcomes in your day. And being prepared involves a bit of optimism and a bit of pessimism as well. An example of uh, uh, optimism, I guess, is uh, perhaps if um, perhaps if you're going on a date you bring some kind of protection. Uh, But then let's imagine you're going for a walk and the clouds look a little dicey. You bring a waterproof layer. And so it's just that case of trying every day to have a mindset in which you anticipate what may happen. Now, you don't want to micromanage your life to the extent where you've got a bag full of all sorts of things in case something goes wrong. Absolutely not. A degree of risk is important in life. And that's a a big message of this show. Uh, Embrace the risk. Embrace the danger. But, you know, if you're setting about your day, just have a think, right, what might I need today? Because it just makes your life so convenient. Um, I mentioned the weather. I generally... If it's not summer, I do have a very lightweight waterproof jacket that just sits in my bag. It just lives in there. And it means that should it rain, I can whip it out. It's very light. It's not even a high quality thing. It's just a crappy uh, thin layer. And it goes on should the rain come. What you don't want is an umbrella. I'm against umbrellas. I think they are evil. First of all, you just lose them. They break. They're clunky. Uh, What do you do with an umbrella once it's wet and you want to put it down? Welcome to hell. I'm against umbrellas. I consider them to be a bad thing. And I'm not really a participant in cancel culture, but I would cancel bloody umbrellas. Um, If I achieved world domination, which hashtag never say never, I would decree that there are no more umbrellas. Uh, Also, they're dangerous. They take your eye out. They're antisocial. Imagine you're walking down the street and people have got the umbrellas and you're trying to walk past. You get umbrella wars where the umbrellas are brushing against each other. Um, What a monstrous contraption. Do you know anyone that actually likes umbrellas? A great solution is a waterproof layer. Um, Packable, goes in your bag, jobs are good. Uh, You can splash the cash and get a Gore-Tex, but you can also go to a basic outdoor store and get yourself what is effectively a sheet of plastic um, with a zip uh, very cheaply. So I'm a big fan of that. And that is a good example of of thinking ahead and being prepared. Um, In this country, you are not required to carry any ID, but I just have my driver's license in my wallet at all times. And it just means that if something happens on the road, if I'm in a shop and I need to, I mean, what if I suddenly want to hire a car? It's really handy to have my driving license on me. Um, So certain key documents, uh, not a passport, because I think the passport can get lost. It shouldn't go with you every day. Uh, But some kind of ID, keep that on you. Very, very useful. Um, 
I got stopped by the police a few weeks ago. I hadn't done anything wrong. They were like checking drivers and I had my driver's license on me. It was very, very convenient. Um, otherwise, I might have had to make an appointment to go and visit them and then show them my driver's license. What the hell? Um, on the passport one, here's a top tip for passports. Take a photograph of your passport and email it to yourself because then you may be asked for your passport number on an occasion when you're not accepting it, um, expecting it. Also, um, certain companies will accept a scan or a photograph of a driver's license by way of ID. So that's really good. You just keep an image of your passport. Obviously, it's the page with your face on it. Uh, keep that in the cloud and have a copy of it. Marvellous thing. You also, you know, just at home, you should be prepared. I'm very proud of the fact that at home, I have a full set of batteries of all the different shapes and sizes. So I've got a couple of those disc thin little round batteries that go into uh, calculators and stuff. Um, and I've also got the double A. I've got the triple A. I'm a big fan of the triple A because it's a, just a, a, a neater, more rationalized, slimmer, tidier version of the double A, don't you think? I, I feel like it's an improvement. It's an upgrade, the triple A. It's also upbeat, isn't it? Triple A battery. Yeah, man. Uh, but I've got a set of double A's, a set of triple A's. Um, and I've got the, I've got a couple of the big ones as well. I have every denomination of battery. Uh, this particularly became important when I had kids because you'll find that it's, I don't know, it's eight o'clock at night and you, you, your kid is playing with his train set or a remote control car or something uh, and uh, the battery's dead. And if you don't have batteries at that point, it's a disaster. The shops are closed. What are you going to do? And you want to play with your kid or your kid wants to play. So uh, I have I don't have millions, but I just have a stock of every type of battery. I'd recommend it. Um, very satisfying just knowing that whatever happens, you've got a battery that can do the job. Spare fuses as well is another big one. And it works for cooking. So at home, you should have a set of basic things. So um, mixed herbs, salt, pepper, white flour, brown flour, corn flour, uh, just the basics, olive oil, um, that kind of thing. And it means that your kitchen is stocked up with the basics. There's nothing worse than getting excited about a recipe and you're halfway through it and you realise I've got no oregano. So a basic set of herbs is good and all the rest of it. Highly recommended. Uh, we're going to do quite a lot of food hacks on this show, by the way, which I'm very excited about. We don't have any today, but I've got plenty waiting in the wings. Um, having said that, I'm now going to give you a food hack because this show is rather... Um, eccentrically assembled. I've just seen a note for today's podcast and it says cheap meat. So this is in fact, in direct contradiction to what I've just said, a brilliant cooking hack. Are you ready? You're going to love this. Why are you going to love this? Oh boy, because it's going to save you a lot of money. It's going to save you time and it's going to deliver amazing food. So excited about this. Now, apologies in advance. This is a meat dish. So if you're one of my lovely vegetarian listeners and viewers or my lovely, gorgeous, scrumptious vegan uh, listeners or viewers for which I have many hacks coming, uh, this one's meat. It's a meat dish. So if you are a vegan, avert your ears now. Just la la la. Um, or perhaps listen to this uh, when you when you uh, if and when you lapse. Right. Very simple. Beef. There are all different types of beef. You have fillet steak. 
and you have the sirloin and the rump. And these tend to be quite tender. That's why they are served in steak form. And all you need to do with the sirloin or a rump or a fillet is, is fry it and eat it because it's tender. However, there are other parts of the cow which are extraordinarily tough. Brisket, for example, um, very, very tough. I mean, if you just fried that, you would not be able to eat it. It would just be so chewy. You've got certain parts of the animal which are more tender, but still on the tough side, such as top rump or silver side. But here's the thing, and here's what's so miraculous about this cooking hack. The tougher parts of the beef, in my opinion, have more flavour. But the problem is they're tough. And who likes tough meat? Um, the other advantage that the tough meat has is it has more flavour. It also is cheaper, much cheaper. So a big old lump of a kilogram of, of brisket, you know, will, will cost you absolutely, well, probably about the same amount as a, as a good sized sirloin steak. So you got a massive lump of meat versus a steak, same money. Um, but the problem is it's chewy and tough. So what do you do? Well, welcome to my hack. So excited about this. You slow cook. Now that sounds complicated. Do I need a machine? Do I need a timer? You do not. So you get, you go to the butcher and say, please may I have the toughest, most nasty piece of beef you've got, such as brisket. And you get it home. And what you can do is you can fry the outside of it. That's optional, but you can brown it. That's entirely up to you. It then goes into a heat proof bowl or a tray or just it goes onto a device. You then put about a couple of centimetres, an inch of water into the bottom of the pan, into the bottom of whatever vessel is holding this uh, this meat. And then you cover it. Um, ideally, it would be a lid like a, I mean, you could use a casserole dish or something like that. But it's, it's any container, any glass or, or a porcelain container or indeed a tray that, that you can seal. So if you all you've got, if all you've got is a baking tray, then you put the water in, put the meat in and then just wrap the whole thing tightly in tin foil. But if you've got a pot, then put the lid on nice and sealed. And that goes in the oven on low. You'll have to do trial and error with the temperatures, but I'd say something like 160 degrees, uh, which would be uh, without with the fan, maybe uh, 140. Wrong way around. 140 without the fan, 160 with the fan. And what you do then is you just leave it in the oven for three or four or five hours. OK, keep an eye on it. Have a little look under the under the lids every couple of hours just to see how it's doing. Uh, poke it with a knife to check the tenderness. But essentially, when you slow cook tough meat, the steam and the heat from the water, from the fluid, the liquid, loosens the muscle fibres of the meat. And it essentially tenderises the meat. It means that when you get that brisket out after three or four or five hours, then when you cut it up, it will literally fall apart with the knife. And the guests who are eating your amazing slow cooked brisket will not believe how tender this is. Much tender than the most expensive fillet steak. So there you go. Slow cooking uh, red meat. It, it particularly works for uh, lamb and beef. Those would be the two I recommend. Uh, then um, 
you will not believe you will not believe the tenderness uh, we will do another show about pulled pork but this is my slow cooked beef recipe um, beef is very good for you it's packed with omega-3 uh, fatty acids it's packed with iron b vitamins you name it it's a superfood and if you're worried about the environment and i understand that you might be then make sure and i am that you get grass-fed if you can grass-fed beef now the good news is in the uk and ireland most of our beef is grass-fed um, so already that is an environmental positive you can get organic beef of course if you want now that is extra in terms of cost but don't forget I'm giving you this recipe that allows you to buy the cheapest part of the cow. So if you want to save money, but be super eco, you could get uh, some organic beef, but get the brisket and it will still be way cheaper than anything else. So there you go. And uh, slow cooked beef. It works a treat. It's a dream. And of course, the beautiful thing about beef is it stays very fresh for a long time. Because beef is not like pork or chicken or fish. It's It's not that... Um, bacterial which is why for example you can eat more or less raw beef you know you can have steak tartare which is fried for a few seconds on each side and be absolutely fine so where uh, beef is very clean meat and especially once it's been cooked for three or four or five hours uh, that can live in the fridge in my humble opinion for a week to two weeks i mean i mean it i mean it uh, this is not a drill this is not a drill this is not a drill Right. Um, let's talk about a couple of other things. I, I want to save you and me money all the time. Bulk buy. OK, um, if you see an opportunity in life, you must take it. Bulk buying is a disaster for things, for items that you quite like, but but are not 100 percent sold on. Because, for example, if there's a certain brand of biscuit that you quite like and then you you get a sort of two for one and you think, oh, that's a great deal. And I'll buy I'll buy a load of them. Um, then. You go off the biscuit and you're like, oh, I bought all these biscuits. Actually, I wasn't that keen on them. Uh, sometimes you quite like the product, but if you buy too many, too many of them, just looking at them in the cupboard puts you off. You're like, well, I did like them and then I bought a load and now I don't fancy them. It's kind of human nature, isn't it? You know, you you, uh, you kind of put, put off by something that's there's too much availability. So be careful with bulk buying, not to buy stuff that you're not sold on. But if there are items that, you always use, you always have used, you always will, then if there's a deal, go crazy if your budget allows. So I'll give you an example. I'm a big fan of a certain brand of deodorant and it's called Beyonson, which is available in the UK. I'm not sure if it's available elsewhere in the world, uh, but it's um, a natural deodorant. So it hasn't got any of the aluminium crystals in it. I don't know whether aluminium in deodorant is good or bad. But I just don't like the idea of it. I'm not sure I want to rub aluminium onto my body, especially under my arms. And therefore, I try to go for the aluminium free. Uh, what's nice about this uh, Beyonce, if you can't get Beyonce, just look for any natural deodorant. OK, so if you're looking at the um, packaging, avoid antiperspirant because that goes against your natural perspiration. Right? It's natural to sweat. And um, I don't believe that you should be trying to stop yourself sweating. The way that Bjornsson works is that, and, and many of the others as well, it's essentially this kind of waxy block, this waxy stick, and it's perfumed. And you sort of just rub this waxy device under your arms and it's kind of sticky and 
and gelatinous and fatty and it, and it just sort of sits there under your arm and it smells good because it's perfumed and the idea is that i mean there's a little bit of it, it blocks a little bit because it's just kind of this light oily barrier so i guess it will help in some ways as a natural antiperspirant but it essentially allows your skin to breathe it allows the sweat to come through but it comes through uh, and it goes through the perfume so it's it still stays fresh it works great for a day it's not going to do you any favors for two or three days but for you know wake up in the morning slap it on um, end of the day you're still going to smell pretty fresh and then you reapply the next day. I don't know why people are buying deodorants, which last for like 72 hours. Um, I just think that's too good to be true. I, I worry about the health impacts. Is that good for your skin? Do you want to work against nature so aggressively? I personally don't. So there you go. So deodorant rather than antiperspirant is what you need to look for. And uh, this particular product, Beyonson, is good. And it's it's expensive, right? It's quite, it's not cheap. It's three quid for a stick but i do get the value out of it it goes a long way and it makes me very happy and i like the smell um if you're listening to the show it's uh, it comes in a lovely baby blue color and it says deodorant mineral protective 24 hours sensitive skin aluminium free japanese thermal minerals but wherever you are in the world and this is a global show i've got listeners and viewers in peru the united states and new zealand you're welcome um you will have an equivalent there will be an equivalent of the deodorant and it's excellent anyway so this is stuff is uh, three quid and a while ago maybe six months ago uh, there was a chemist and they were doing a deal and it was two rather than three pounds it was a pound off okay so normally three now it's two so i purchased 10 i bought 10 why did i purchase 10 well because i like this deodorant i'm always going to use it it is my deodorant it's stood the test of time and I've saved 10 pounds, right? I bought 10. There's a pound off each one. That's 10 times one is 10. You're welcome. Um, I'm very, very good at maths. Highly recommended. Uh, so bulk buy, but only things that you know that you're going to use. Can we talk about my product of the day, which could easily have been deodorant, uh, but I'm going to recommend ceramic pans. Would you agree with me that there is no non-stick pan in the world that lasts very long? I have learned from experience that it doesn't matter how much you spend, whatever brand you invest in, they basically kind of wear away and they stop being non-stick. It's terrible. And also, have you noticed how non-stick pans, the surface, the coating kind of chips away? And then it's like, well, where, where, where have those bits of Teflon gone. I've eaten them, haven't I? They've gone into the food that I eat. Yuck. I don't want to eat a pan. No, that sounded like Peter Pan, didn't it? Crazy. So I have had huge trouble finding pans over the years and non-stick. So you've got a couple of options, right? Um, you could accept that non-sticks don't last that long. And what you could do is you could just say, uh, essentially, I just replace the pan every year. And um, that is a solution. If you want a non-stick experience forever, then you just, you just, you have a, a turnover. You throw the pan away every year. Now that's not good for the environment. It's very wasteful and it costs you money. So here's my solution you get a ceramic frying pan. Um, this particular product is uh, pink in color and it's made by a company called Tower uh, and it works high quality um, halogen, electric, gas, 
ceramic induction. So basically it works, it's got a stainless steel base, which means it works on, on all hobs. And uh, there is an aluminium layer. I think there's some steel in there. And then it has a top layer of ceramic. So what does that mean? Well, it basically means if you're listening rather than watching, uh, this pan has a finish which looks a bit like a cup or a plate. And ceramic is basically clay cooked in the oven hot in a kiln. I think they call it a kiln rather than an oven. I'm no expert, but I would imagine that is the correct terminology. And, uh, and so you've got this layer of ceramic, this layer of stone, if you like. And it's really good. So here's what it is. And I think this in a way is typical of life, which is that the product is on day one. It's actually less good than a nonstick. OK, because it's it's not wildly nonstick. You know, it's, if I put um, a raw egg into this pan and then turn the pan on, it wouldn't sort of glide around like you get with a new nonstick pan. You, you'll have been to shops where they demonstrate and they show you the egg rolling around the pan it's so smooth but we know that doesn't last so it's not non-stick from day one okay but what it does is it maintains its integrity as a surface forever um, i've had this pan for over two years now and it performs the same as it did on day one and that's what i like it's like i know what i'm dealing with it hasn't changed it, it wasn't perfect at the beginning but it's it, it, it's what it is today as it was on day one um, it means because it's not ultra wildly nonstick, um, you just need to cook with oil. I don't have a problem with that. So if I'm doing a fried egg, I get olive oil on there and then I put the egg on top and then I fry it. But it's really, really good. And I actually have a metal scourer, which is really only for stainless steel saucepans. But the ceramic coating on this pan is so strong and so durable that I can very lightly use the very scratchy metal scrubber on this and it does not remove the surface you know that would be fatal on a non-stick pan uh, but it gently if there is any kind of for example if i'm frying bacon i find that the bacon uh, does kind of slightly glue itself to the pan it's inevitable um, you're, you're always left with a residue of, of bacon um, i will use the metal scourer and it will just lift the bacon off and i've got myself a clean pan but it doesn't change the appearance of the pan uh, or or the coating also, the other nice thing about ceramic is it's natural. It is clay. Um, it is baked in a kiln and therefore you're not eating some weird chemical. So there you go. Ceramic pan, my product of the day. Absolutely brilliant. Now, Tower is the, the brand that I've got, but there are plenty of alternatives. So do uh, do shop around. Um, how are we doing? We've, uh, we, we're doing well, aren't we? I just want to make sure that I really um, deliver for you guys um, in terms of. Yeah, we're, we're 22 minutes in. That's nice. I'd like to talk to you about a public figure whose story could change your life. This is a very famous person whose journey, whose life experience is quite educational and could be a game changer for you. The person I'm going to talk about, and it doesn't matter whether you're a fan or not, this is not relevant. It's the story that you need to hear is the singer Phil Collins. Uh, he's an English singer born in London or Essex. Talented guy. Um, it's worth hearing this. It's quite remarkable. I've never been a big Phil Collins fan. Clearly a very talented guy. Clearly very popular. No problem. Um, I've got this thing. I don't like people that criticise 
successful people. You might not like Phil Collins. You might not like Chris Martin from Coldplay. You might not like whoever it is. Uh, They're very popular. Um, They made the work. They put it out there. Good luck to them. They've got a massive audience. So for you to arrogantly say, you know, Phil Collins just like shouldn't exist. It's like, well, there's lots of people that enjoy Phil Collins. Perhaps it's not your taste, but you can't say Phil Collins is bad. And would you believe that his whole career, he's been slagged off nonstop. Poor old Phil Collins is is not universally liked. Uh, and in an interview, in an interview recently, he said that, um, he said, uh, I'm, I'm one of the things that people hate about the 80s. What a thing for this guy to say, given how much pleasure he has given to people. So I'm going to I'm going to say that I've I honestly never really been a big Phil Collins fan. I've never downloaded his music. I haven't purchased any of his stuff. Of course, it's always been on the radio. I don't hate it, but it's just not my it's not my thing. Uh, romantic ballads, all that stuff. You know, it's not really my genre, but clearly good at what he does. Well, his story is pretty bloody amazing. And I want you to take note. So he was very keen on drumming. He received a drum when he was three as a baby and he was quite fixated on it. So his family noticed that. And when he was about five or six, they actually, for his birthday, made him a drum kit and actually made one, the constructed one. Obviously, the first one when he was three was just some silly toy drum. Six-year-old, he gets a proper kit, um, but but made, I think, by hand. I'd love to know how they do it, but they constructed drums. I think you had two uncles who were, who were rather handy. So that's no problem. He's now six and he's got a bit more of a proper drum set, obsessed with that. By the time he's 10 or 11, he's actually performing, doing little performances for the family and little events locally. He sells his train set, his treasured beloved train set, and buys an actual drum set in his, I think, early teens. And then he starts to get gigs remarkable stuff so drumming is his thing it's clearly this guy is just drawn you know i had a toy drum when i was a kid i am now not a famous drummer something happened that that he gets this device and there's a connection with him natural rhythm who knows he likes bashing things he's musical fine but the point is that he was put on this earth to play the drum he was given a drum something happened when he got hold of a drum and he actually did some acting. He was at drama school. Uh, he was got a small part in a film. Uh, but none of it really excited him. What excited him was the drums. And I want to be a drummer. So anyway, he becomes a drummer and almost kind of gives up really his acting career, even though he's had a couple of good credits and done some adverts. He's focused on this device, this uh, drum. And he, I think he's a member of several different bands. He goes and move from one band to the next. None of them very successful. He then auditions for Genesis, who are at the time in the early 70s, a very established band. I mean, they're not massive, uh, but they're, they're big enough to be touring regularly. And they've got the resources with which to audition a drummer and then pay the drummer, I think, £10 a week. So he goes off for the audition and he gets he gets the job. And he becomes the drummer for this band. But his whole thing was, I'm a drummer. That's what I do. And he's a Genesis and he plays the drums and that's his job. And he's very good at it. And everyone's happy. And as far as he's concerned, that's my life. Okay. Now, this is not, this is not the key part of the story. The key part of the story is that Peter Gabriel, who was in this band, Genesis, left in something like, mm, forgive me on the detail, but I think the early 70s, 73, 
the singer, one of the songwriters, leaves the band and they think, well, we need a singer or we're going to have to break up. So they audition loads of singers and they can't find anything. Now, Phil, as a drummer, had been doing backing vocals when Peter Gabriel was in the band. Um, a lot of drummers do backing vocals. And sometimes the bass player does the backing vocals. It's just a little, you know, background role. And one of the band members said, well, you know, your your background, your backing vocals are good. Well, why don't you, um, why don't you just uh, like, why don't you just get something, record something and let's have a listen to it, do a little demo. And he said, no, 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 I, I'm a drummer. I'm not a singer. I play the drums. I mean, yeah, I can do some backing vocals, but I'm not a singer. Then well, well just get something down and let's hear it. So he reluctantly in order to like just stop them annoying him about it, he records a demo. The band listened to it back. Now they have auditioned countless people. They hear his demo, then that's perfect. That's us. You actually sound a bit like Peter Gabriel. Uh, this is ideal. We want you to be the singer. He's like, what? I'm the drummer. I've got to sing now. All right. So he sings. Well, he does his first gig, goes down a storm because the fans are missing Peter Gabriel, but he takes over and it's like, you're great. It works. Your voice is perfect for this music. And you've got a really good singing voice. You can hit all the notes. Happy days. But you know, at this point, he's like, oh, bloody hell, now I've got to sing. And of course, he was missing the drums because you can't sing and play the drums generally. Uh, but he's not really a very expressive performer. And he was singing, but uncomfortable and nervous being on the front of the stage. It took this guy three years, okay, three years of singing as the front man of Genesis to get the confidence to take the microphone out of the mic stand. So for three years, he just stood in front of the microphone because he, he, like, he wasn't owning it. And then he uh, he does then um, take the microphone out of the mic and he starts moving around. And he's confident. The moral of the story here is that the guy that does not want to be a singer becomes an incredible singer. And they, you know smashing the gigs right i mean who knows is phil collins's voice maybe even better than peter gabriel so if you know whatever your self-perception is okay do not put yourself in a box you do not know the powers that lie within you until circumstance gives you the opportunity to find out okay so don't put barriers in front. In a way, it was very dangerous with Collins because he could have said, no, I will not sing because I'm not a singer. But he yielded. He said, all right, I'll do a demo. And the rest is history. And now, you know, what, what do I, how did I describe Collins? I called him a singer. But this is a guy that did not define himself as a singer. I'm afraid it doesn't stop there. Um, because then um, they are lacking a lyricist and a songwriter. Because Peter Gabriel has left and he was one. I mean, they all they all wrote, the whole band wrote, but they needed more material. And Collins is like, yeah, I'm not really. I'm not really a lyricist and I'm not really a songwriter, but they need the material. So he, you know, he helps out. You know, he collaborates with the others, throws a few lyrics in here, a few lyrics in there, which the band think are quite good lyrics. And then he makes musical suggestions. He's like, how about this riff? So suddenly he's saying, oh, I'm not really a songwriter except that you know and i don't do lyrics it's like well you're contributing lyrics which are which the band like and they're quite fussy and you're contributing melodies which they like too so what the hell okay and so you have this blossoming so suddenly he's a, a bit of a songwriter not not like game-changingly good but a bit of a songwriter and then one more thing happens which is that the band break up 
um, big hiatus, kind of just, it's not working, they stop. Some would call it a pause. Others would say that you know, they, they, they were like disbanded. But anyway, he gets to like 1979, 1980, and he now doesn't have a band. He is band free. Okay, Genesis are not there. Uh, what's he going to do? So uh, he thought, well, I, I, I'm a musician. I have to produce work. So I'll just come up with, I'll come up with some material, right? I'll write some songs. I'll sing them. I'll play the drums on, on you know, on the songs. And then I'll release it. And he was uh, very pessimistic. He's like, I'm not a singer. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a lyricist. But I'm going to have to do all of those things on my own as Phil Collins. So he does it. And the album is released. And it goes absolutely crazy. Much bigger. Much bigger than any Genesis album. It's, I can't remember now, but tens of millions of copies of an album. And it's called Face Value. And the first song on it, an absolute mic drop of a song. Now, this is the guy, right? He's uh, not really a songwriter. The first song is called In the Air Tonight, which is one of the biggest selling singles in the history of popular music, right? That's, his first, that's the first song on this album that he's not very confident about because he's not a songwriter or a singer, okay? And it's an incredible song. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, darling, you, you know that song. And it's got the famous guitar bit towards the end, doo, 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 which was used in a Cadbury's advert. Um, after this podcast, go and listen to In The Air Tonight, even if you're not a fan of Phil Collins, but just get in your head that when he recorded that, he did it in his home studio thinking, I'm not really a songwriter and no one's going to buy this album, but I've got to do something because I don't have a band anymore. And realise that he's just produced this piece of work which goes on to essentially just dominate the charts and then he has another album which is called no jacket required and that goes through the roof um genesis reform and he goes back and they're like oh my god turns out you're a really good songwriter look at all the success you've had and he then um is becomes really the sort of the key songwriter of the band having been the backroom boy and he drives their success in the 80s with many of his own compositions it is amazing what he achieved but it, it Everything that happened to him was against his own instincts. Everything that happened to him was something that he didn't think uh, should happen, that he wasn't equipped for. He labelled himself as not a singer, not a performer, not a front man, not a lyricist. He only defined himself as a drummer. And yet, look what he's done. Um, the statistic on him, by the way, which is quite interesting, is that only three people in the history of music have sold more than 100 million records solo and sold more than 100 million records with a band. Okay, so Collins has sold 100 million records twice. And that'll be 200 million. I'm actually delighted to say I'm very good at maths. I'm so good at maths. And the only other two people who have done that, 100 million with a band and solo separately, is Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. So that's something, isn't it? So what I want you to do, I never want you to write yourself off. Don't label yourself because the problem we've got, I mean, I'm in the media and it's terrible for putting people in boxes, the worst. You've always got to fight outside of that. 
But it's actually human nature. We, you know, everyone gets put in a box. You work in a company and you work in the office and they go, oh, Steve, he's he's the number cruncher. You know, he's the data nerd. And then, oh, Stephanie, she's she's the whatever. I don't know. She's the um, creative one. It doesn't matter what the label is. It's unhelpful. Forget labels. You are an extraordinarily um, gifted one-off each and every one of you, you were a total one-off with your own amazing software and hardware that is um, a gift of nature. And you've got no idea what kind of kit you're actually rocking. You know, it's a bit like, you know, when you buy a new iPhone and there's things it does that you don't even know. Well, that's you times a hundred. So I don't want you to label yourself. And if you have the opportunity to try something which is not you and you just go, I know that is not my thing such as skiing or playing chess or going to the opera, um, do that thing that you don't think is you. Uh, because it might just be that you have this extraordinary, shocking gift for it. Maybe you don't, but you won't know till you tried. So say yes to stuff, be open to stuff. And please don't write yourself off. Please don't put yourself in a box. Um, today, the rest of your day, just be open-minded about who you are and what you could be. Um, yes, there are things that you know you want to do and what you want, and that's very important. But if someone suggests something else, uh, come out of your comfort zone. I did windsurfing the other day. Never done that before. Uh, I can't say I loved it, but I just thought, well, you know, it's 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 something I've never done, and I'll give it a go. And and do you know what? I'll give it a go again. Um, it's a bit annoying because windsurfing is like one of those activities that it's not that fun when you can't do it. I think once you've got the hang of it, I would imagine it's brilliant. But the the first few days is a drag. Uh, but I will persist with it. I will stick with it. Perseverance is going to be another theme of a future show, by the way. So there you go. That is um, important. And that's what I'll be uh, hammering home to you is to understand that there are so many things in you that you don't even know you've got. And the only way that you get them out is by not labelling yourself and accepting suggestions and offers from others and trying it. Um, this ties in with my final inspirational message of the day. And it's three words. I do like my little three word things. And this one is a beauty. Do it anyway. Uh, partly inspired by the excellent book by Susan Jeffers, which is called Feel the Fear and do it anyway, which is an excellent book, which in a way the title is self-explanatory, feel the fear and do it anyway. In other words, you know, you're going to kind of go up a, a, a diving board, right? You're nervous and you don't want to jump off. It's like, okay, I'm on a diving board. It's high. I'm nervous. And you jump anyway. You do it anyway. I'm afraid. Do it anyway. Um, it's a good book. And, but I think it just works. Those three words are, are a real gift. Do it anyway. So, for example, you wake up in the morning and you've got something to do. Let's say you've got to clean the car and you don't fancy it and you're tired and you've got achy arms and a headache. OK, tired, achy arms, headache. Do it anyway. Um, maybe exercise, you know, you want to go jogging or something, go to the gym. You're like, I'm not in the mood today. No, you're not in the mood, are you? Do it anyway. 
um, get started on that company report. Uh, not today. I don't feel really prepared. I haven't got enough information. Um, my brain's frazzled. I'm jet lagged. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. Um, it's very noisy here where I'm working. It's very distracting. Um, do it anyway. So it's important that how you feel does not impact your productivity or your output. Do it anyway. Okay. And it, there's literally nothing in you know, my, my leg hurts. I've got to, I, you know, uh, my leg hurts. I can't concentrate. My leg hurts. Okay. Well, your leg hurts. You can't concentrate. Do it anyway. Do it. Not being able to concentrate. Um, tiredness is the big one. People often don't get around to things it's like, oh, I'm tired. I haven't got the energy for it. I'll do it tomorrow. Just do it anyway. There was a, a lovely, um, it was a very good actor called, uh, a Welsh actor called Richard Burton, who was married to Elizabeth Taylor. And his daughter was an actress as well. And she was in a play and she talked to her dad and she said, I'm really struggling at the moment in this part because I'm so tired. Because they're actually, you know, acting in a theatre, especially stuff like Shakespeare, that's really exhausting. That will take a lot out of you. And she said, I'm struggling. She said, I'm just, I'm so tired. And Richard Burton said, use the tiredness, use it. So somehow this actress, she's tired. And he's like, put that in your performance. And I think that ties in with do it anyway, whatever the circumstances, you know, starting a company and we haven't got, we haven't got an HQ and we don't have this and we don't have that. Do it anyway. Just get moving. Do it anyway. Uh, that brings me to the end of the show. Um, do subscribe. Tell your friends, spread the word because, you know, we've got so much to share. Uh, with the world. And um, let's make this a big old community. Uh, thanks for your company and I'll catch you on the next show. Bye bye.